Welcome to the Florence Crossroad Podcast. We're thrilled to share with you an exciting message from our weekend service. If you would like more information about who we are as a church and how to get involved, feel free to visit florencecrossroadag.org. We hope you have an amazing experience and a great week. We're delighted that you're here. If, uh, if you would, uh, I'd like you to take your Bibles this morning and join with me. We're going to look at the Word together. It will be on the screen. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, have you ever heard the term fake news? I'm not going there this morning. But I find it most interesting. I just think God is brilliant that he chose April 1st, 2018, to celebrate Easter. Think about this. Devil wanted Jesus dead. He wanted him buried, and he wanted him gone. April Fool's. <laughs> I just love that. Amen. You can't keep... You can't keep a good man down, folks, I'm telling you. Amen. This morning, I want to share with you a little different message for an Easter. We're here because of resurrection, because of what Jesus did on the cross, and the fact that he's no longer on the cross or in the tomb. He's alive. He made the promise that he would die for our sins and come back to life. And not only did he say that, he said he's coming back for us. And I'm looking forward to that. And uh, with that, it's, it's, it's important to recognize why did he come in the first place. And I believe that Jesus did all of that for a purpose. I'm going to give you three words that I think sum up why Jesus died and rose again. And those three words are almost, they're, they're almost antithetic toward the whole of who God is. But you'll understand it as we walk through it. Those three words are God needs you. God needs you. I know that it sounds strange to say that when really God doesn't need anything. When you think about it, He is self-existent, self-sufficient, and self-sustaining. Every first-year theological student understands that, that he is self-existent, self-sufficient, and self-sustaining. And yet I have the audacity to tell you that he needs you, and he does. Because yet in in the book of Acts it says, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. Now, I understand both sides of that statement, and I truly believe that he truly needs us, yet he doesn't need anything. So how do you justify that? I justify it by the fact that God decided to need you. He chose to need you. He doesn't need you to exist. He didn't need your opinion when he created the world. He didn't need your input when he when he decided to figure out the landscape of life. He didn't need us to give him our opinions. But he chose to join with us in a coexisting dynamic. 
In Genesis chapter 2, and we remember the stories of, of, of the creation, it says, And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And what Adam called each living creature, that was its name. God brought Adam into this unique operation and management of this world, and he chose that he would join with us in this great venture. You know, it's interesting that Adam uh, was given the task of naming all of these animals. It, It could have been that God could have said, Adam, I'm going to name these animals. But God chose Adam, and he says, I want you to name them. I have tried to figure out what was Adam thinking when he come up with the name Aardvark. <laughs> figure that one out, folks. You know, I, some, some things, it just seems like he must have been getting weak and weary because when he named the birds, he come to some just like Blackbird. <laughs> really? He must have fallen asleep when he heard the hummingbird. I don't know. The point being is is that he was given the task to join with God in this construct of this world. And it's a unique thing. God chose him to do that. He didn't just do it there. This partnership in this enterprise is something that he's done throughout the scriptures. In the book of Ezekiel, there was a time where God had, had, his patience had grown very, very thin. And the children of Israel were once again doing their thing in rebellion. And God made this statement. He says, I have sought for a man who will stand in the gap and intercede on their behalf. You see, he was joining men. He was saying, I need a man that will join with me and stand with me. But he could find none. And the result was he poured out his judgment, seeking someone that would work with him. When Jesus was in his own country, because of unbelief, it challenged even the miraculous of God. In Mark, it says, now he could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief. It doesn't say that he wouldn't do any mighty work. It says that he couldn't. And the point, point of what I'm sharing is that God has, he has joined with us to coexist with us, to, to co-venture with us in this enterprise of w- this world. I, I, I love the fact of that. Is it possible that God has limited his unlimited power on this earth, in our lives, depended upon our faith and partnership with him. Think about that. He has limited his unlimited power in our lives on this earth to partnership with us in faith. That's the whole construct of Easter. God gave. He's not going to do it again. He gave it once. And he's given to us the prerogative of choice to say, accept this great gift that has been given. It's highly likely that whatever happens in your life right now, that God has unlimited power to change whatever it is that you're struggling with in your life right now. But it's dependent upon your partnership with him. To see that occur. 
I'm not the only one that believes that. I think the devil believes that too. I think the enemy knows that this relationship between man and God is a partnership and it's a, it's a trust and a faith construct. And he knows that if there's any way that he can thwart that, he will. If you go back to the book of 1 Samuel, I love the story of David and Goliath. You know why? The little guy wins. <laughs> Some of you will figure that out when you leave. <laughs> no, the little guy was five foot four. <laughs> <laughs> I was on live radio for many years in Salem, and I'll never forget a lady coming to church one day, and she'd come to meet me at the, right there by the platform, and she looked at me, and she says, you know, you're a lot taller on radio. <laughs> but I love the story. Verse 8 of 1 Samuel 17, then he stood, this is Goliath, he stood and he cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Notice he says the servants of Saul, not the servants of the Lord God. Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that, he may, that we may fight together. Goliath, according to the scriptures, was nine feet four inches tall. That's one big boy. And he was a loudmouth on top of it. Now, here's the thing that just grabs me. Israel lay in the balance of this situation. Don't you think God Almighty with all power and all authority could have just nailed that turkey right between the eyes with a thunderbolt, I mean a lightning bolt? Don't you think he could have done that? But he chose not to. He chose to limit his unlimited power with a man. To accomplish what his purposes were, he limited himself and brought into this relationship a person. Now, I can see Satan standing before God in this whole matter, and I think he kind of orchestrated some of this nonsense. And he stands there and he says, All right, God, he says, You see the challenge. All of the children of Israel, all of the men of Israel are cowering behind rocks in fear of this guy. What are you going to do now? He says, You don't have a man. He says, I don't need a man, I've got a boy. And he's well prepared. He's already taken out a lion and he's taken out a bear. But he's not big enough to wear the armament of Saul. No, he doesn't go into it with the mechanisms of this world. He goes into it with something bigger. He goes into it with a faith. He had faith for the bear. He had faith for the lion. And he's got faith for the giant. God's saying, I'm not going to do what you think. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I love it when God does that. God always, always knows. You never catch him by surprise. 
So God chose. He decided to need us. He decided to allow us to enter into this enterprise. Have you decided to need him? Remember, you can take the words partner and exchange those words with need. He not only wants to partner with us as he needs us, but we need him. I've got news for you. I need him a little more than he needs me. You have to do your part. You have to do it in order to see what God's going to do. And here's the thing that hits me. God will never do your part. I counsel people in marital counseling, and it's interesting to me that if you love her as Christ loved the church, and if you honor him as the church honors Christ, then God can come in and he can begin to do whatever the need is. But if you won't do your part, he's under no obligation to do anything. Hello? I've got news for you. We live in a world that seems to be extremely entitled. I'm sucking air, so I should be able to have everything that I desire. I know, I just went to meddling. I consider it a gift. We're not entitled. We have a responsibility. If you're not honoring your mate, don't expect God to come in and do the intervention. If you're critical of them all the time, you're seeing their shortcomings, don't expect God to answer your prayer. I'll say amen all by myself. God has the power but he doesn't have to answer, especially if we live outside of our responsibilities. I I heard about a cute little gal that she was single and she was just a bubble joy. She was just full of joy. And she was in the nursery at church one Sunday morning and she was just by herself. She was changing a little baby's diaper and she was just talking to the Lord. She says, Lord, will you be with me? And and when I get married, and will, 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 you, will, be, will you be with me when I have children? Will you help me change diapers? And all of a sudden, the heavens parted, and she heard, I am the Lord God, and I change not. <laughs> Don't forget that. You do your part, he'll do his part. I don't think his part's diapers. I like that part. (laughs) Secondly, your part isn't supernatural. Boy, you ought to be awful glad about that part because the supernatural is the hardest part. That's God's part. His part is doing the miraculous. Your part is simply doing your part, doing what you can, doing your responsibility, taking responsibility to do things in accordance to the way that he has prescribed it. Problem with our world today is is really quite simple. We want to do it our way. We don't want anybody telling us what we can and can't do. We don't want anybody to say that you have to live a certain way. We don't want anybody to put moral boundaries around us. How has that gotten us? Where's our world today? 
You see, God has a wonderful plan, and it's not a restrictive plan. It's a protective plan. It's a wonderful plan. His part is always supernatural. It's, it's interesting to me. I, I heard the story about a young fellow that getting ready to graduate and looking at his transcripts, he recognizes that he's one class short of being able to graduate. So he goes to the dean and he says to the dean, he says, you know, I've been diligent. I've studied hard. My grades are wonderful. He said, but I'm, I'm short one class. He says, I'm going to ask you a favor. He said, what is the easiest class that I can take? I've already got a job. I'm in the area. I could take it. I, I could take care of that. What, what would be the easiest class that I could take? And he says, he kind of smiled. He says, truthfully, we've got a class like that. He says, it's a class on birds. I think they call that ornithology. He said, but it's a class on birds. And he said, the professor, he'd have to get better to die. I mean, the guy is just old, and he's just so, it's the easiest class we've got. He says, sign me up. He says, you won't be able to get into the class till the end of summer. That's fine. Summer comes along, guess what? The old prof dies. <laughs> so they hire a young man, fresh out of graduate school, first assignment, first class. He comes into the class, and he's going to make this the hardest, most rigorous study in the whole school system. So this guy is sitting there, and the prof pulls down a, a chart part way, and all it shows are the legs of this bird. And he says, one-third of your grade is dependent upon what you answer. I want to know the order, class, phylum, and kingdom of this bird with its name. Well, with that, the young man gets up, picks up his books, and walks out of the class. And, the, and this young professor says, where are you going? He says, I'm dropping this class. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I came here to be instructed, and you're telling me I've got to guess. He says, that's, that's dumb. He says, okay, son, what's, he's, what's your name? He says, so I can take it off the roll. He pulls up his pants. He says, you figure it out. I'm sorry, it doesn't get any better. <laughs> Our part is never supernatural. Say that with me. Our part is never supernatural. David threw that stone. He took that sling and he wound that thing up and he threw it. That's all he did was throw the stone. God guided that stone to this precise spot on the forehead of that giant, smacked him, and he drops. Not backwards, but forward. And I don't think the scriptures say things just to say them. He fell forward, and I'll tell you what I think happened with that. It's a statement that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He did his part. Do you know that the stone didn't kill the giant? What killed the giant was when David took the giant's sword and whacked off his head. That'll do it every time. <laughs> you know, I know that, you know, everybody likes to live in a hallmark moment. And everything's sweet and rosy and just, you know, the piano or the organ is playing in the background. and Everything just, I just kind of like to live in the Old Testament for about half an hour where you could run them through for the glory of God. <laughs> I 
Well, we know this isn't the church, Mama. <laughs> you remember when Jesus turned water into wine? They came to Mary and they said, we're, we're in trouble. We ran out of wine. Mary looked at them and says, do what he tells you. It's the best advice any mama has ever given. Do what he tells you. And Jesus said, take water pots, fill them to the brim, bring them back. And they did. They just did what they were told. You see, they did their part. God always does his part. I have no idea what kind of wine it was. But they said it was good. And why? Because they did their parts. God did the miraculous, saved the wedding. I, I love the story of when, when Moses is with the children of Israel. He's taken them out of the land of Goshen, out of Egypt, and he's taking them into the promised land, into Israel, and he comes to the Red Sea. And when he comes to that part, it's a tough moment. All of the armies of Pharaoh behind them, you have the garrison of Migdal over here, which is a massive fortress full of people that want you dead, and you've got a mountain range you can't climb, and you've got a Red Sea in front of you, and you're stuck. And God says to Moses, Moses, stretch out your staff. Everybody do this. Just do this. Every Humor me. Okay. <laughs> I don't see any waters parting. <laughs> but when God says it, you can take it to the bank. And when God said, Moses, stretch out your staff, and he did, he did what he was supposed to, he did his part, God did his part. Do, do, you see, do you see the point? I love that. God wants us not only to do our part, he not only encourages us that our part is really the simpler, his is the miraculous, but the last part of this is this, your part's always first. Jesus is not going to come back and die again on the cross. He already did that. He's not going to be stuffed in a tomb and rise again on the third day. He already has done that. He told us in the scriptures, he says, lay hands on the sick and they will recover. He doesn't tell us to lay hands after they recover. He told us to do our part, then he does his part. And he always tells us that our part comes first. Amen. Romans says it this way. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. One of these days, we're going to be in heaven. And, and I, I know that heaven's perfect and it's, it's wonderful, but... I'd like to just see Adam for just a little bit. Because what he did was mess it up for all of us. By one man. One man. Have, how many of you were ever in a class or 
maybe in football, and one guy did some stupid thing, and the whole class or the whole team got punished for that. Don Peterson did that to us in, in, in football, and I wanted to pound him into soap. I mean, wind sprints. Oh, Lord. Yo, some, anybody here ever had to do those things? Oh, man, terrible. I wouldn't wish that on. That's terrible. All because of the nitwit Don Peterson. I had to suffer because of what he did. Spirit of slap still coming on me. I'm telling you this. <laughs> Y'all get what I'm saying? Adam did the same thing. And because of what he did, all of humanity has suffered every single second of every day since that point. It seems unfair to me. But actually, it was kind of brilliant. You see... Since it only took one man to blow it and lose it all, it only takes one man to bring it all back. That's what Easter's about. A man lost it and a man had to get it back, and that man was Jesus Christ, God's son. Remember when Goliath said, choose you a man that, would, that he would take down, that, that would come down and fight him, and that whoever wins, wins it all? I kind of think that there was this scene in heaven where Satan stands before the Father. And he said, you know, Adam blew it. I won. He said, you really think you could kind of end this whole thing? Just give me a man. Give me a man that, that will come and fight me. And whoever wins, God, will get it all, one way or the other. God says, fine, I choose Jesus. But he's not a man. Then I'll make him a man. And in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He became that man. He is that man. And he came to live like a man. And he came to be tempted and tested like a man. He came to understand the, the human fabric of life. There wasn't a temptation that you will undergo in your life that he hasn't endured. And yet he did not succumb to the temptation. I just think it's kind of interesting for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. He already has done his part. He's simply asking us, will you do your part? I have given to you eternal life. Choose you this day. Whom will you serve? Will you serve God or will you serve self? Will you choose the great gift that he's given? Or will you say, I'm going to do it myself? How's that gotten you so far? I know where it got me. I remember where I was 
when I came to the realization I couldn't live like this anymore. Some of the stuff that I had allowed into my own life, some of the things that I had entertained into my own life, some of the stuff that I had found myself being very much involved with, some of the things that became very addicting to me. And I knew I couldn't change. I tried. And I came to a point where I said, God, I can't do it. But I need your help. It was September 25th, 1967. 66. You do the math. And when I got away from that altar that night, I felt a release in my spirit that I have never lost the sense of. It was a beginning. It has grown. It has grown with intensity only for the fact that the longer I've known the Lord, the longer I've walked with him, the more precious he has become. His word has become invaluable to me. I have been, I have been a kept preacher. He's blessed me. He's overwhelmed me. I did my part. He more than did his part. And what he's offering to each of us today is the incredible knowledge of sins forgiven, eternal life, a life you have yet to figure out the blessings that he's going to bring. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for the promise of that word to us today. I thank you, Father, that you love us so much that you came into this world to become our Lord and Savior. And you simply said to us, if we would confess with our mouth, if we would believe in our heart. Lord, it's so easy to get religious and do things and to try and perform and live up to but you did everything we need. You did everything we need. You conquered the enemy. And you give to us a promise of your eternity. And you promised to be with us. You know, Father, you've never failed us. And you offer to, the, to each of us that same gift. It has to be simple so that all could be equal. You said that if I would believe in my heart the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was raised from the dead. And if I confess with my mouth, then I would be saved. And so, Father, I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to speak into the life of each of us today to just simply affirm the word. Do you believe? Do you believe? How do you come to know him? It's as simple as making this a prayer. Father, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. 
I believe that Jesus Christ is that Savior. And I ask him to be mine today. Forgive me of my sins and help me. I need you and I yield my will to you. It's that simple. And you can pray that right where you're at. It's a personal thing. It's between you and him. God, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your help. I can't do this alone. That's doing your part. His part is the miraculous. I prayed that prayer with a man on Friday. <laughs> it thrilled me because he looked up after we prayed and he says, Oh, Pastor, I feel so much lighter. Because you see, when we do our part, as simple as it sounds, it unleashes the supernatural presence of a living God. And He always does His part. Would you stand with me this morning? How many of you have ever prayed that prayer before? Let me see your hands. You've prayed that prayer. May I ask you this question? How many of you are glad that you prayed that prayer? How many of you are not ashamed that you prayed that prayer? <laughs> Perhaps there's somebody this morning that, well, we shared that, you prayed that. Because, you know, I, I look out here and you're all pretty this morning. Y'all look good and you got a smile on your face, but I also know that behind the smiles is reality. And I know that reality hides a whole lot of things. And the wonderful thing is, is that my God knows all about that reality. He all knows all about who you are, who you really are. And he so cares about that. And maybe as we shared and as I shared that little prayer and you prayed that prayer, you know, I, I believe that in all sincerity, God hears that. But it says, if I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth. Sometimes we like to keep things a secret. What would people think? You know, well, we just need to get over ourselves. Truthfully. You know what I want them to think? I want them to think, I want to be like that. I don't want to be ashamed. Confess with our mouth. You know what you're doing when you confess with your mouth? You're just giving the devil a black eye. Right in a... Amen. Because when you confess with your mouth, you're taking away from him a weapon he can use against you. You're making a declaration. I'm reminded of the word that what we, what we bind on earth is bound in heaven. What we loose on earth is loosed in heaven. When I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, I'm loosing in heaven the arsenals of God to come to surround me so that when the enemy of my soul tries to condemn me and hurt me, I have a garrison of God's angels around me to hold me, to strengthen me, and to stand on my behalf. Glory to God. (laughs) 
We're going to sing a, a chorus here in just a moment. When we do, I'm going to ask you to take a bold step. Maybe for some it will be a, a first-time step to stand out and say, I am not ashamed to declare my faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe it's the first time, but maybe for some it's a rededication. I want Jesus to be the Lord of all of my life. And I want it right now. As we sing that, I'm going to ask my prayer team to come. And as they come, I want, I want to ask you, would you join them? If there's any area of prayer that you need, any area of your life that you need prayer, I want you just to come. We want to pray with you this morning. If you made that commitment this morning, if you prayed that simple prayer, I want you to tell them. You have to tell everybody, but tell them. We're going to believe God for a good thing this morning. Amen.